Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. This is my almost always daily email in which I look at a particular issue in the political economy of Aotearoa, New Zealand with a focus on housing affordability, climate change and child poverty. Today is a big one on climate change. And uh, it's one that uh, I've spent a day and a half or so working on and also travelling. Both Lynn and I went out to Featherston, uh, north of Wellington, on Tuesday for a farm visit that Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, Climate Change Minister James Shaw and Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor hosted in which they announced the government's response to Hewaka Ekanoa. This is the um, industry and government partnership designed to come up with a way to bring the agriculture sector into the emissions trading system. Just to step back a bit and provide some context and background. So, way back in 2003, when Labour was previously in power under Helen Clark, it proposed a levy on farmers of a total of $8 million per year, on average $300 per farmer, to fund research into reducing agricultural climate emissions. Now those emissions are methane from burps and the occasional farts from cows and sheep, and beef cattle, and also uh, nitrous oxide uh, emissions. This is the sorts of things you get when a cow or a sheep pees, and also uh, sometimes when you uh, administer uh, a nitrogen fertilizer uh, not very effectively. And of course, uh, as our farming systems have changed, become more intensive, particularly use more fertiliser, and also changed quite a bit from sheep and beef, which don't use quite so much fertiliser, to cows, which do, we have seen our methane or agricultural emissions rise sharply over the last 50 to 60 years. Even though, particularly since 1990, we've had a sharp drop in our sheep numbers, this has been offset by a large increase in our cow numbers. And our methane emissions and our nitrous oxide emissions from agriculture make up about 50% of New Zealand's overall greenhouse gas emissions. That's why it's important to watch what's happening with the agriculture sector for us, and more so than in other countries. And until now, the agriculture sector has not been in our emissions trading scheme. So just to flip back again to the uh, levy that the Clark government tried to put in in 2003, there was a reaction against this, which was uh, the so-called fart tax reaction. Now you might remember, and there's also a picture in today's email newsletter, uh, of Shane Ardern, a distant cousin of Jacinda Ardern, who was then a national MP, driving a tractor called Myrtle, up the steps of Parliament in protest at this levy, which was called the fart tax. Uh, And uh, this was a campaign um, 
uh, to stop, quote, all ridiculous taxes, the F-A-R-T tax uh, protest. Now that reaction, which looks a lot like groundswell, uh, if you weren't around then, is, uh, was actually quite effective and forced the government eventually to move to an emissions trading scheme, which was the first in the world. Now this, uh, the idea here was to create a limit on the total number of uh, amount of emissions of greenhouse gases, and then you would essentially um, set the limit, and then people who produced the emissions would um, look to reduce their emissions and be able to trade their credits with others who would want to increase their emissions. And the idea was to essentially use a market to set a price to, over time, reduce your emissions, which looks very sensible. And actually, the emissions trading scheme as it's operating now is starting to have an impact through a price mechanism. And every economist loves the idea of an emissions trading scheme. However, the one that was set up in 2008, just before Labour lost power, um, was very light and had all sorts of gaps in it and was very ineffective. So A, it excluded agriculture. B, there were a whole bunch of um, competitive uh, industries such as aluminium, uh, steel, uh, and a bunch of other industrial activities where the emissions were exempted or people were given um, a free pass, essentially. And uh, also, people were able to go into international markets and buy carbon credits to offset their uh, emissions here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The problem, of course, is that many of those credits were junk credits. When we say junk credits, they were sold to us by <laughs> the Ukrainians and the Russians, who, of course, remember, um, up until 1990, were huge industrial producers, the collapse of the... Uh, uh, Berlin Wall and of the Soviet industrial complex meant that their emissions dropped sharply under the Kyoto system, uh, just naturally because they shut all their factories, but that meant that they had an enormous number of credits to sell uh, and uh, a bunch of people in New Zealand bought them. This was eventually phased out um, about seven or eight years ago and over time, the scheme has been toughened up. So more people have been included, less exemptions have been given. And just in the last year or so, it's really started to come into its own. However, it's meant that the price of carbon credits uh, at one point in 2013 actually dropped to under $2 per tonne. So there's no incentives there to reduce emissions. Now, that has risen over time to the point where, at the moment, it's over $80 a tonne and closer to what is seen as a realistic um, carbon emissions price of, you know, $100 a tonne or so. And uh, that's starting to become a useful price signal. But still, no agriculture in the scheme. So, uh, Hare Waka Ekanoa was set up in 2019 by the industry and the government to come up with some industry-led solutions. And the deadline was that the Carbon Zero Act said that the agriculture sector would have to come into the scheme by law at the beginning of 2025 if they couldn't come up with some other scheme. So Hewaka Ekanoa spent three years trying to come up with a way to price agricultural emissions and avoid 
uh, a sort of hard dumping of the sector into the emissions trading scheme. This uh, led to the uh, a recommendation by Herr Walker Ekenoa of what they call a split gas farm level pricing system for emissions. This is essentially where a, an authority or a software system works out how much each farm is producing for their emissions and then charges them a set levy for each tonne of their emissions and also pays farmers individually uh, for each tonne of emissions that they reduce. And this levy was going to be set by a, an independent but very much industry-led uh, operation. And the idea was that it would be a low enough price with high enough uh, um, transition incentives to reduce emissions which all sounded very sensible. It also recommended that farmers be able to plant trees on their farms to offset their emissions and therefore reduce the costs. This was quite attractive, particularly to beef and sheep farmers, because they have all sorts of gullies and hill bits that um, aren't very productive for sheep and beef, but could be quite good for a big old uh, pine forest. The problem, of course, with uh, using forestry to offset your emissions is that it's a oncer. And there are also various debates about how useful it actually is. The idea is, of course, that you plant a pine forest, it acts as a carbon sink for 40 or 50 years, and then that's it. You have to leave the forest. It's not like you can cut it down and let it rot and get the carbon back into the atmosphere. That wastes, it's a waste of time. But a pine forest that grows and stays there as a carbon sink. But you can only do that once. And increasingly, uh, the climate change policy world is starting to move away from these offsets because they see it as a uh, quick fix, easy option for people who actually really need to just reduce their emissions. So on we go with Hewaka Ekenoa's proposal, which came out uh, in May. And now the and then the Climate Commission came back with its recommendations on what it thought of Hewaka Ekenoa. The Climate Commission wasn't keen on these uh, forestry uh, sequestration offsets and said don't use them. And uh, would also like to see some uh, pricing of uh, fertiliser at what they call the processor level. So this is where the a levy is imposed on the big fertiliser uh, importers and sellers. And there's two main cooperatives in New Zealand, Balance and Ravensdown. And that's relatively uh, simple and easy to administer. So the big deal this week at this announcement at the dairy farm at Featherstone, where Lynn and I went, and you'll see the picture with the email, and you'll be able to hear shortly from the Prime Minister, this was the government's response to Hewaka Ekenoa. This is a big deal. We've been waiting 20 years for some direction on how to reduce emissions from farming, and someone had to make a call at some point about what was going to happen. Because remember, these emissions haven't really reduced all that much since two, the late 2000s, and are up dramatically from where they were 50 or 60 years ago. 
And it's a big issue for us because we have one of the highest greenhouse gas emissions per capita once you include all the agricultural emissions. So we had to do something about this and um, now is the time. So um, let's have a listen to Jacinda Ardern outlining her plans or the government's plans in response to Hawaka Ekanoa. Nearly three years ago, the government and farming leaders announced a partnership that was the first of its kind in the world. Hewaka Ekanoa, our future in our hands. A proposal that committed government and the agricultural sector to work together to develop a plan that reduces emissions and prices methane and nitrous oxide at farm level by 2025. Today that partnership has resulted in a pragmatic set of proposals that will reduce agricultural emissions, meet our 2030 methane target and in doing so enhance our export brand. We agree with Hewaka Ekanoa and the Climate Change Commission that farm level pricing presents the best opportunity to meet our emissions targets. The government has largely included the Hewaka Ekanoa partnership proposal to price and reduce emissions which the government has built on in the consultation document released today. The proposal as it stands means New Zealand's farmers are set to be the first in the world to reduce agricultural emissions, positioning our biggest export market for the competitive advantage that brings in a world increasingly discerning about the provenance of their food. I know once finalised, this will put New Zealand on the best possible footing going forward. The proposal would give New Zealand farmers control over their future, control over the way they make their reductions, the costs and their farming systems. Importantly, all money raised from charges on emissions will be recycled back into the system to fund further research, tools and technology, as well as farmer incentives in order to help reduce emissions. All revenue will go back into uh, those goals. I know Minister O'Connor will speak to the specifics of this a bit more shortly. But for now, let me say this. Here we have a proposal to make our farmers not only the best in the world, but the best for the world. That has the potential to unlock an emerging and significant price premium for climate-friendly agricultural products and boost our export brand. It's a system the sector has come up with, which is largely being backed by the Climate Commission and the government. So there we have it, um, the Prime Minister's argument that this was a pragmatic solution and that it would be the first such scheme, split gas scheme in the world, would position New Zealand's farmers as ahead of the game, greener than everyone else, sustainable, and um, we could add some premium to our product, even if we had slightly less of it. So, um, is this actually fast enough? And it's a question I asked the Prime Minister this way. Would you describe this as a climate emergency response? No one else in the world is doing it, Bernard. Prime Minister, uh, has yeah. the um, has the uh, process failed then? Because it looks like the farmers are going to reject it. And has it really just effectively delayed action? And shouldn't you have just gone straight in and done it? Oh, just wouldn't mind querying why you believe they're going to reject it. Well, Andrew Hoggard said this afternoon or this morning that he look, it was likely the farmers would reject it. Oh, look, ultimately what you have before you 
is based on the principles that came to us from Hewaki Kanoa. Uh, and to have reached a point in our history and our climate action where you have the primary sector working with us on how we can most effectively reduce our agricultural emissions, that in itself is significant. Now we have to work through the details, but the proposal that we've put out, the bones of it continues to be the proposal we had from the primary sector, with some variation on who sets levies, how sequestration works, and how we deal with fertiliser. Here I am putting out a plea, particularly for those working uh, in the uh, beef, lamb and deer. We know there are some issues to work through there, that's what this period is all about. So why are beef, lamb and deer having to take the bulk of the load? Why not dairy farmers? Simply, it's simply with a system such as this, uh, depending on uh, revenue and your emissions profile, the simple calculation. Uh, and so it's, uh, it will not be necessarily evenly felt across all of that sector either. It will very much depend on the nature of the farm and the farm system itself. But this is where we want to work through, where there may be consequences that are unintended uh, and what we can do to support those parts of the sector. Isn't there a danger with the load falling on sheep, beef and deer that you end up with an accidental major sequestration problem, i.e. they all just convert to pine forest and suddenly you've, you actually have got lots of sequestration when you perhaps didn't want it? Well, um, Other parts of the system are designed to prevent that. You will have seen yeah. Thursday last week, for instance, our announcement on dealing with uh, uh, afforestation, making sure that councils, for instance, play a role so that we don't have large-scale uh, conversion in parts of the country where that's not the most appropriate use of land. Well, she was clearly ready, ready for that one, first in the world. You do have to wonder, though, if the planet cares whether the scheme was the first in the world if it doesn't actually reduce emissions. And this is the core of the problem here. We've had an emissions trading scheme. We've had one since 2008. It hasn't reduced emissions. It was so full of holes and so responsive to industry lobbying that it only really became useful in re recent years and then not for agriculture. What would happen if you actually did a proper emissions trading scheme where there was a cap on uh, uh, emissions that fell and there was a trading system. Well, that's exactly what James Shaw proposed to Cabinet. And you can see in the Cabinet papers, which, which I've read for my sins, that uh, he would like to see a cap-and-trade system. So a bit like the emissions trading scheme we have for carbon dioxide, but for methane and nitrous oxide, in which um, there would be a hard cap on the volumes of emissions, and then people would be able to create a market, a traded market, where it wasn't the government who set the price, but the market. And uh, that uh, would see a significant reduction in production and uh, revenues for right across the sector. It would actually hurt the dairy sector more than most. However, uh, this, uh, the government's come up with this uh, split gas levy scheme, different though than what Hewaka Ekanoa suggested. In particular, it doesn't allow the sequestration of widespread uh, forests. It only allows sequestration of riparian planting, i.e. the few trees that you have alongside creeks and rivers and some native uh, planting, which isn't as, as good or as chunky in terms of the credits as pine planting. 
And uh, this has upset the farmers, uh, in particular the beef and sheep farmers, who are relying on these widespread plantings to, to get on with it. And remember, uh, last week the government came out with a quiet little announcement that from 2025 you won't be able to simply plant a big forest and get a whole bunch of uh, carbon credits um, for a forest that's going to be there forever. So um, this is a problem for the uh, sheep and dairy sector, which could see production fall anywhere around the 20% mark. And in some scenarios, and I've included the full table in the email, you know, we're talking 60% reduction. Federated farmers have come out very angrily about this um, tweaked Haywaka Ekanoa proposal from the government, describing it as gutting the particularly sheep and beef sector and causing all sorts of grief. The, um, the dairy sector is not quite so upset, but they also would like to be able to do a lot more sequestration. And none of them are happy that the government's going to set the levy rather than the industry-led system. So what's, what's going on here? What's going to happen? Does it matter? Well, the modelling from the Ministry of Primary Industries and the Ministry for the Environment says this split gas levy set at around the equivalent of just under $4 a tonne. So remember the market trading price for carbon dioxide is $85 a tonne. So let's say you set it at $4 a tonne for uh, the levy on agricultural emissions and you give back uh, incentive credits, if you like, to those people who reduce their emissions of up to $100 a tonne. That's quite some uh, bid-ask spread there. But anyway, uh, if you do that, um, then you could see an overall net reduction in revenues to the sector of 5%. Doesn't sound too bad. Um, but that most of the reduction in production and land use happens in beef and sheep. So 10 to 20% reduction generally in uh, those areas. So quite a hit. And this is the problem for the government. We've come to the end of the road of the consultation. And here we have it. To actually reduce uh, agricultural emissions, you're going to have to actually reduce production. And if you look in other countries, um, they have mucked around here. The Dutch, for example, have just basically said, right, you are going to have to reduce emissions and your cow numbers, just do it by this date. I mean, all hell is broken loose, but uh, that's how you reduce emissions. The worry here is that uh, if you go down this split level levy scheme system, the modelling says you could get to the 10% reduction in agricultural emissions that the Carbon Zero Act specifies by 2030. Remember, that's only seven years away. Uh, but to do that, you have to assume that there's a bunch of things going on. In particular, we have to assume that uh, the uh, beef and sheep sectors in particular move to um, low methane-emitting breeds. So that means a whole bunch of breeding and changes in genetics. Uh, that's not fast. Uh, and you do have to wonder about the assumptions used for that. Also that there is more widespread use of nitrous oxide inhibitors. Now this is a spray that was used in New Zealand up until 2013, which you spray on the grass and this reduces nitrous oxide emissions. It's called DCD. The problem is that 
it taints the milk a bit. And when we found some taints, the Chinese were not happy about it, so we stopped using DCD. So the question is, do we start using DCD and risk alienating China, or do we find something else? And there's not too many other things around at the moment. The other idea is that there's some new technology, maybe it's uh, some sort of uh, seaweed or something, but we're quite a way away from that sort of new technology, new farming systems. And the record on the ETS system is pretty poor about actually reducing emissions. So uh, what's going to happen now? Well, we know that the farmers are not happy and the government's hope that they could somehow get everyone on board here and everyone will be okay with it. Looks like that's failed. Um, so you do wonder, there's been three years wasted, you could argue, uh, arguing about it when actually what you needed to do was just order a reduction in emissions. And uh, also that's two years closer to a change of government. Uh, remember that if you're a monopoly or an industry that want to stops change, wants to stop change, then there are a few tactics you can use to do that. You can delay, you can deny, you can distract, distract, you can deflect. And one of the most effective ways of doing this is to uh, um, join together with the regulator and try to influence the regulations and delay the introduction of the regulations with lots of chatter. Um, this is essentially part of the problem here. We are in a process of grief. Grief for the end of the main way that we make a living in the world. When I say the end, obviously not the complete end or the death com completely, but a sharp reduction in production of dairy and meat from grass. That's our thing. And we've worked out now that our thing produces a lot of greenhouse emissions and we're going to have to reduce our thing. So that's a tough thing to come to terms with. If you've built your whole economy on greenhouse gas emissions, uh, that's a problem. And we've sort of known this, but we thought we could get away with it without having too much pain. And now it's sort of come home to roost that, yeah, we're going to have to take some pain. Just a question of how much and who pays for it and how we compensate for it and how we manage it. Now, I've talked a lot about the agriculture sector because that's half of the emissions. The other chunk of the emissions come from, in particular, transport, uh, but other things like industry. And to be fair to the farmers, uh, they're actually more advanced and more specific about how they're going to reduce their emissions. We're actually at the pointy end of the stage of you know people taking making changes to their um, economic models, the way they make a living. That has not happened in the cities, where the uh, people living in the suburbs, driving their double cab utes around town, um, belching diesel fumes and everything else, uh, that hasn't reduced. In fact, that's increased over the, over the years, and we've made no progress whatsoever in mode shift and electrifying our uh, um, transport system to reduce emissions. So the farmers are right when they say, I mean, you're punishing us and making us change, but you're not really changing your behaviour. Why are we taking the pain first? Fair enough, actually. And uh, that's one of the issues at stake here. Who takes the pain? 
Because in this process of grief, there are various stages, starting with anger and denial. We've sort of been through that stage now. Uh, there was the denial, the actual denial of climate change. I think most sensible people in in or around the policy-making system, the mainstream media at least, uh, politics, political parties, uh, are in agreement that humans cause climate change and we need to do something about it. The question is what? And um, most of the ideas that, you know, we, we can't really do anything because, you know, China is bigger than us and it's a waste of time. I think that's gone by the board. No one's saying this in a sensible place in New Zealand anymore. Although it didn't always used to be like that. There was a president of the Ferrari Farmers, Don Nicholson, from 2008 to 2011, who even now is saying climate change is not a bad thing. In fact, all this extra carbon dioxide and methane in the atmosphere is fantastic. Uh, look at this research from these physicists. Now, as you see in the email, the physicists are climate deniers and were big fans of Trump. So, you know, there's been a time when some of people in our, uh, our farming sector have actually been climate denialists. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we're past the anger and denial stage, although, as you'll see in the email, Federated Farmers were pretty angry, pretty angry yesterday about all this. Um, so once you're past the anger and denial stage, then you get into the bargaining stage, and that's where we are now. We're essentially the people who are going to get hurt plead with the bosses or the government to not hurt them quite so much, or hurt them in a slightly different way, or hurt them... Uh, in a very long way. And um, this is part of the problem here. It's to do with the actual physics and chemistry of uh, uh, the agricultural emissions. Now, if you haven't been looking at this, the key thing to know is that carbon dioxide, stuff that comes out of our cars and our smokestacks, that lasts in the atmosphere for an awful long time, centuries and centuries, and it's cumulative. And that's part of the problem here. Methane emissions are not cumulative in the long run. They sort of last for a decade or two, and then they sort of change and uh, um, start to, to um, I wouldn't call it evaporate, that's too strong a word. If you're looking for the full science, I've got links in the uh, email to that as well. But actually, um, that short-lived nature of methane uh, it changes the way you, you think about how to manage it. However, again, as I've pointed to in a link uh, in the email, methane, although it's short-lived, is quite hot in its first 10 years or so. When I say hot, its warming potential or ability is much more than carbon dioxide in that first 10 years. And if you see the problem as one of doing as much as you can, as fast as you can to reduce climate change, then you really need to throw everything at it in your first 10 to 20 years or so. So really between now and 2035 or so. So that means the biggest bang for your buck is to reduce methane emissions because they are anywhere from 10 to 80 times more warming than the same equivalent ton of carbon dioxide emissions. However, you know, over the long run, 40 or 50, 60 years, um, they become less important. And so how you view the short run and long run is really important. So a lot of farmers and people trying to 
thinking about reducing their methane emissions are instead looking at the long run and saying, well, actually, you know, just give us a chance. We'll get down there. And by the way, this is a short-lived gas and we shouldn't worry about it too much. Well, actually, if you're really worried about the overall impact on the planet, you need to reduce methane emissions a lot and fast. And this does not do it. And this is the basic problem here. We needed a grief process in our political economy, which was short and sharp. And we needed to have less of the anger and denial, less of the bargaining, and a lot more of the acceptance a lot faster. And we're not there. And this process in our political economy, which already has taken at least 20 years, and we haven't really started, and the um, split gas levy system uh, proposed here doesn't start till the beginning of 2025. And even then, it's in an interim stage. It's taking too long. And this is the problem. We can see now, and even in the last 20 years, a significant acceleration in the effects of climate change and what appears to be you know, a very quick increase in the planet warming gases that we've got and the approach of a bunch of tipping points, uh, which, again, accelerate the process. So it really is a climate emergency. And, you know, to be fair, the government uh, did agree to treat it like a climate emergency at the end of 2020. I don't think they have done. Uh, and uh, you can judge for yourself what you think of the Prime Minister's answer to that question. Uh, it's also worth asking the question... Who should take the pain? Now, at the moment, under this system proposed by the government, it's the sheep and beef farmers who take the pain, not so much the dairy farmers. And that is interesting and worthy of debate. And also just the overall question of why aren't we doing more faster? And the option which was rejected in Cabinet, put forward by James Shaw, for a hard cap on agricultural emissions that drops fast, and would see essentially a, a, a market trading system would, as the modelling shows, uh, um, cost more, hurt farmers more, and essentially uh, get the job done faster. This is the guts of the problem. And we are now in a position where our politics, the metabolic rate of our politics, how quickly we get things done, particularly under MMP and with this model both parties use of incrementalism, whether that is fast enough to catch up to the effects of climate change. What actually is happening now is that the physics and the chemistry and the biology of our planet is moving faster than our political economy's ability to adapt and change. And the best example of this, I think, is covid so COVID and the biology of it meant that Aotearoa New Zealand had very little time to adapt its economy, its society, to try to combat COVID. And we had probably a week or two's advance notice on the rest of the world, simply through how long it takes for planes to get here and for the thing to spread. And that was enough time for us to make massive changes. Literally within two or three days, we shut down our economy to uh, uh, protect the health of the nation. That was an extraordinary political achievement. 
a real example, an inspiring example of how a political and economic elite, if you like, could come together and do something that hurt them, hurt themselves in the short run to do the right thing for the long run. Democracies don't tend to do that. They tend to wait and negotiate and just use time to try and solve the problem. But when you don't have time, how do you do it in a democracy? You can do it in an autocracy. That's what China has done and is doing with its COVID uh, zero policy. We had a COVID zero policy. We were pretty much the only country in the world, maybe apart from Australia, but even we were more successful in Australia, in effectively uh, in a democracy making a decision that would hurt our economy dramatically in the short term. It worked until it didn't because eventually the biology moved faster than our political system and that's why we lost last year and why the government's in a position where it will probably lose the next election. So we've got a similar situation here where chemistry and physics is moving faster than politics. And unfortunately, the incrementalism we're seeing here shows again we're going to lose this race with physics and chemistry. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a quite long version of the uh, um, uh, Dawn Chorus podcast. I hope it's useful. I've spent a lot of time diving into hundreds of pages of documents and uh, listening and talking to people for hours and hours and tried to distill this together into something that is useful. I've also taken a, a lesson from the piece I did on Monday, which was very popular and well-read, widely read, and seemed to have a bigger impact than uh, just what I normally do, which tends to be to focus on the daily burp and fart of, uh, of the news and find something interesting. In this case, I wanted to do a deep dive into the issue of agricultural emissions and how to deal with it. Kakite anō.